Welcome to the Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth. We're siblings who love Harry Potter. Hello. Hello. Today, Alyssa and I are covering chapters 9 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets on the Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth. We will look for foreshadowing, Easter eggs, themes, and talk about the big questions we have, particularly how any nuggets in these chapters tie to the endgame. First, Alyssa needs to channel her inner Professor Binns and remind ourselves what happened on last episode. In chapters 5 through 8 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Harry and Ron have a hell of a time commuting to Hogwarts. Platform 9 and 3 quarters doesn't let them through, so they decide it would be super smart to take the flying car, which gets them to Hogwarts, but they have a crash landing into the Whomping Willow. We meet a bunch of characters, human and ghost alike, get to know Professor Lockhart, for better or worse, but then Harry starts hearing voices in his head. So with that, Let's grab our fireballs, dodge our bludgers as we work through who scored and who fell off their brooms in chapters 9 through 14. Heavy lift this week of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 9. Filch shows up and freaks the fuck out over seeing Mrs. Norris looking particularly dead on the floor. Dumbledore, the professors, Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to Professor Lockhart's office where Mrs. Norris can be examined. We have this incredible scene where Dumbledore is examining Mrs. Norris and trying to figure out what's wrong with her, while Lockhart keeps making shit up and pretending like he's being helpful, pretending that he knows what's caused it and he knew the exact counter curse that could have fixed her. Well, he's a veterinarian, so I mean, that makes sense. He's an expert (laughs) in all things, always, all the time. Well, we all own his book, Gilderoy Lockhart and the Veterinarian in Our Hearts. I made that up for the record. In case well, I like it. It sounds book. realistic. Thank you. It's totally something he would have written. Uh, but Lockhart's failed advice aside, Professor Dumbledore determines that Mrs. Norris has been petrified and will eventually be able to be fully healed. Professor Snape, while he doesn't believe that Harry did this to Mrs. Norris, still thinks that Harry's up to some shit in this line and naturally should be suspended from Quidditch until they get the full truth. Oh my God, Madam McGonagall heard this. She's like, no, <laughs> anything but Harry being suspended from Quidditch can't be, we'll do anything else. <laughs> she was not happy at all. No, I love that, she, like in, in the middle biased. of all this, right, in the middle of all this, we still get the, the house biases coming up and make, coincidentally or not, Slytherin and Gryffindor have a Quidditch match coming up. Right, so it's super convenient for Snape to be like, oh, the best player on Gryffindor shouldn't play because he was up to something. And McGonagall, I think parents probably do this a lot where they're about to punish it and they realize, oh, that's more of a punishment for me, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And I think in this case, she had no interest in Harry being kicked off the team or whatever. Certainly not. And especially because if they determined that Harry was lying and needs to get in trouble, Dumbledore did tell him that the next time he does something wrong, he's going to be expelled. So I feel like even then you're kind of going against what Dumbledore had already said and you create a whole host of other problems by not staying consistent with your rules anyways. Well, yeah, uniform enforcement is key, but and consistency. In a school that has no uniform enforcement. Oh, we talked, there's just no standardization at all. But 
I mean, if you, if you think about anything Harry could have done in comparison to taking a stolen enchanted car and flying it over muggle villages to go into Hogwarts. I mean, going to a ghost party is like wherever he was. Is that later in this chapter? No, that was, that was the last section where he went to the death day party. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. Right. So going to a ghost party that like is on the grounds of school just seems like, come on, don't don't expel people for that. Way worse stuff goes on here. Exactly. And it turns out the thing that Harry's lying about is that he does not tell the professors that he heard the voices that led him to Mrs. Norris. Says that's not worth saying anything and that they should move on. Well, it's a bad look. Right. Right. Hearing hearing voices is never a good thing, even in the wizarding world. That's the quote from Ron, I think. But I think maybe he says that later. I'm not sure. It's, yeah, it's it's in this section. I don't know if it's this one or later. Um, But we find ourselves next in History of Magic class, my favorite class. And Hermione oh, wow. gets Hermione wow. gets Professor Bins. <laughs> it should be a good class. It should be. There's no reason why it shouldn't be a good class. Well, you're about I'll to say forget. that Professor Bins told the story of Chamber of Secrets. So I'm I'm yes. jumping ahead of you, but I, I will point out he actually tells it in a very engaging manner. And I feel like if he were to explain everything the way he explained the Chamber of Secrets other people would probably like history of magic as much as you would. Maybe that's fair. We can have that debate another day. Maybe we should have an entire extra pod of me literally just ranting about how history of magic is handled. We'll save that. We'll put a pin in that and save it. Yeah, for I'll day. go on mute and do something else while you do <laughs> Correct. that. Correct. <laughs> you can go work, do whatever, play with the dog, and I'll go on a rant. Right. Uh, Feel free. <laughs> Professor Benz tells the story of the Chamber of Secrets, which, as far as we know, is conspiracy. So, preview of my, my rant, why the fuck are we doing this history magic class? History magic should be about history, not conspiracy. Though we do later, of course, find out that it is not conspiracy and is, in fact, history. So, it all works out in the end. But the trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, later go and they talk to Moaning Myrtle to try to figure out what she saw. Mrs. Norris was found just outside of Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Moaning Myrtle, in maybe typical fashion, maybe you disagree with me on this take, is not very helpful. She does not give them very much information, and they don't feel like they have a better sense of what's going on. Ron then tries to convince the others that Draco is behind the opening of the Chamber of Secrets, which, much like the trio's constant complaints that Snape is up to something, eventually will start to get very old. Draco is blamed for everything anytime there's an issue. Of course, we will later find out that both Snape and Draco were up to some stuff. So maybe it works out in the end. The trio decide to, to take Polyjuice Potion and become Draco's friends so that they can find out what role the Malfoys have in the Chamber of Secrets. We're talking about this later, but this is absolutely preposterous. Oh, makes no sense. We can, we'll talk about it later, but the fact that Draco can't figure this out is the dumbest thing ever. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they think it's him. So great. We'll oh, have that a debate too. Okay. on this I thought, later. I thought you were talking about the fact that he didn't know that people were pretending to be his friends. Like, I well, get that's ridiculous to be stupid, too. but you should be able to figure this out still. How stupid can they be? I mean, people are super oblivious. Yeah, I don't fair. know. Okay, keep going. Chapter 10, 
Hermione tricks Lockhart into giving them permission to go to the restricted section so they can get a book they need to make the Polyjuice Potion. While this is a cute little section of showing how stupid Lockhart is and a way they're able to get into a section they're not supposed to, a year ago, Harry just put on the invisibility cloak and went in and grabbed a book. So I don't know why they didn't just do that again and why they had to go through all this trouble. But they decided that this was a better way to get the book than sneaking around, I guess. And then we get a nice uh, Quidditch match where it goes incredibly well for Harry, except for the fact that there is a rogue bludger following him around the entire match. I'll just follow him around trying to knock him off his broom and give him severe injuries. Yes, of course. This This is not normal behavior for a bludger. And the team eventually has to just let Harry deal with it so that the rest of the team can try to play. Harry catches the snitch but breaks his arm. Professor Lockhart shows up and fucks everything up even more by when trying to fix Harry's arm actually makes all the bones in his arm disappears. Yes, it's flaccid now. Right, exactly. Harry's got a flaccid <laughs> arm, flaccid appendage for Harry there. Um, right. Which, like, I get doing a spell wrong. Like, Ron does a spell where he's trying to make Malfoy eat slugs and it backfires and hits him. Okay, like, it's the same spell, but just backfired. Here, Lockhart did a spell that theoretically was supposed to try to fix bones and instead makes them disappear. That's not bad spell work. That's just a bad spell. Well, do you ever try to fix anything and you're like, you think you're about to like screw the leaky faucet so it closes and then you do something and then it just like, explodes all i feel like this is what happened that is, you tried is, to fix something that? and something else happened <laughs> okay. I, I don't know about you that happens to me it's like okay i figured out what the initial problem was but i've created five new problems by fixing it right i tried to just fix a tiny little leak and now i have an entire kitchen floor flooded and i'm six pipe suppers but i thought i was just screwing something in i don't know you can't you can't expect me to do this kind of work you need to hire people for this. But anyways, that is actually the takeaway from here. You can't just have, you know, professors who have no experience healing bones. You have to take them to the experts. And speaking of the experts, Harry then goes to Madame Pomfrey to get his arm regrown, the bones in his arm regrown. And while he's there, who shows up? But Dobby, Dobby the house elf who tells Harry about how he's responsible for the bludger and he's responsible for blocking the corridor to the Hogwarts Express because he was continuing to try to stop Harry from coming to Hogwarts. Uh, their conversation is ended when footsteps appear and Colin Creevy is brought to the hospital wing, petrified. He had a camera with him and they open it up to find all of the film inside the camera completely destroyed. Who did this? We still don't know. But we know because Chamber has struck again. Yes. Reading this book the first time, you're like, what the hell is going on? Now it's like, oh, that pesky basilisk is back going after Colin. And it's this is unfortunate because while this wasn't like a major event that happened in these past chapters, one of the recurring little subplots is that Colin is like annoying Harry. That everyone knows Colin has been following Harry around with his camera trying to take pictures of him so when colin turns up petrified it's not just like a random muggle-born student it's someone who was annoying big scary harry potter we, we, we can get to this um 
in later books when it becomes more relevant. But I really think there's a disservice done to Colin that we don't, we need a little bit more of him in the later books because of how his arc plays out, of how he sneaks back into the castle and, and dies in the battle of Hogwarts. Like, I feel like we could have used a little bit more of him showing his evolution, some of his evolution as a wizard before that point because we don't really hear much about him and then he's there dead and his body's You want these recovered. books even longer? <laughs> fair. That's, that's fair. I'm just saying like, I feel I like it. he went from an annoying first year to kind of out of the books, but now he was in noble, but then wasn't he? He was in Dumbledore's yes, army. Was. So I mean, yes. there's something. Let's talk about it again in book five and Dumbledore's yes, we'll army. We'll talk about it more. Maybe I just want a little bit Ken more. Colin. will be proved wrong, and they talk plenty about Colin upon a maybe. reread. Let's find out. We'll see. <laughs> Chapter eleven. While Harry's been in the hospital wing. Ron and, her, Ron and her mind continued to work on the polyjuice potion. In potions class, Harry caused a distraction so Hermione can steal the supplies from Snape. Now, this is an interesting development because Harry, of course, has to be somewhat careful as to not get expelled. But also, we see more evolution from Hermione to the point where she is more and more willing to take risks to break school rules at a more regular basis to try to do what they think is right. Here she is breaking into the private store of a professor, not just any professor, but a professor who seemingly loathes her in order to try to determine if his favorite student is the one causing all of these issues. You know, when you think about that compared to her in just a book book ago talking about, you know, you could get us killed or worse expelled, she's really gone a long way already. And she'll continue to grow and evolve as a leader and as a person as these books go. The fear over the Chamber of Secrets has led to the creation of a dueling club, which of course is led by none other than Gilderoy Lockhart, because nothing says you should lead a dueling club like being the winner of the Best Smile Award. But Lockhart's leading this dueling club with Snape as his assistant. And we get possibly one of the, I don't know what, three most important things that comes out of this book, which is Snape shows Harry how to do Expelliarmus, which rightly or wrongly becomes Harry's signature spell in later. We have a little dueling going on, a little fighting. Hermione gets into a fight with Millicent. Harry and Malfoy have a little duel together before they have a bigger duel in front of everybody. And and Malfoy casts a snake at Harry. Harry stops the snake from attacking Justin, who it looked like it was about a bite. But no one else has a clear idea of what happened. To everyone else, all they saw was a snake was going towards Justin, and it looked like Harry was edging him on. This is, of course, how Ron and Hermione and the rest of the school realize that Harry is a parson now, someone who can speak to snakes. Harry goes to try to explain to Justin that, this, that he wasn't trying to get the snake to attack him, but rather was helping keep the snake away from attacking his colleague. But he can't find Justin. Why? Because Justin's hiding from Harry. And Harry hears the other Hufflepuffs talking about this, discussing how they are afraid for Justin's life because they think Harry has opened the Chamber of Secrets and is out to get Justin as a muggle-born. This doesn't seem like what you'd expect from Hufflepuffs, in my opinion, Alyssa. I feel like, yeah, they might not be friends with Harry, but still to kind of just 
talk about conspiracies and make and essentially kind of making some shit up and making wild conclusions doesn't seem like the friendly and loyal Hufflepuffs that I've been led to believe everyone, everyone in my uh, house is. As you know, these house sorting things, there's a lot of gray area here. Not yes. everybody is like perfectly perfect <laughs> into their house all the time. Oh, very true. So Harry, upon ending his conversation with the Hufflepuffs, sees nearly headless Nick and none other than Justin lying in a hallway post-attack. And after Pease finds Harry in the hallway, he causes a ruckus, and McGonagall takes Harry to Dumbledore's office. Chapter 12. Harry's sitting in Dumbledore's office and talks to the sorting hat. After the hat reaffirms to Harry that Harry would have done very well in Slytherin, Harry kind of loses his shit a little bit. He gets really defensive and gets mad at the hat for something that, at the end of the day, isn't the hat's fault. Like, I know that this isn't Harry actually mad at the hat. He's just angry and upset and taking it out. He's a kid. But still not, not, not a great look to be yelling at a hat for doing its one job. Okay, Harry's under a I'm lot saying. of pressure. He's hearing voices in his head. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's the issue. No, I'm just and everyone hates you know it. What? Yes. No, he gets, he, that happens every book. So right. at some point. Right. At, well, that's one of my biggest issues with this excuse. book. My, my, one of my issues with this book is that like, there's not a whole lot here to talk about that isn't, doesn't already happen in other books. Right. I, I, uh, this might come back up later. And I've said this to Alyssa before recording, but um, as Alyssa said before, this is probably her least favorite book. And I, never agreed with that claim though this reread of the book i gotta say it's it's fallen down on the list for me i did reading this time i'm like all right yep there's there's you're exactly right there's not that much there it's a seemingly a lot of fluff surrounded by a couple important things right which is why we're doing such a big chunk of chapters in this right. episode because really to be 100% honest, we just didn't want to talk about this book that much longer. We want to get into the next one because I really like the next one. Oh right, my God. Exactly. I hope everybody could hear <laughs> oh that. My God. Kenny's little cat. Uh, what, what do we call the cat? Baby Kitty? Baby Kitty, though her real name is Nymphandora Tonks. So it's actually Harry Potter related, but she goes by Baby Kitty. She is all over Ken's microphone and she meowed. And I hope that we can, I hope that the microphone caught it. I think it did because I heard it. I hope it makes it on there because that was very cute. Yeah, let's not cut that bit. No. And if you guys got to see the video from this chat, which you guys won't get to see, you would have just seen uh, her butt for a little bit because she was just kind of putting it in front of the camera. Yeah, so. I hope not because I haven't dressed up for people to watch. No. Certainly not. I haven't either. Bonus content, but- you know, one day. <laughs> Anyways, we're totally off track and we're not even done with chapter 12 when I have two chapters to go through. So let's keep plowing forward. Going back to chapter 12. So while Harry's in Dumbledore's office, Fox the Phoenix dies and Harry understandably freaks out and thinks, oh my God, Dumbledore's going to blame me for this. His, his pet died with me as the only person in the room. And everybody so else fucked. around me is getting petrified and they <laughs> right. all think it's my fault. And now I was here and the little bird died. I, you know, there's a lot of people and we might as well like criticize Harry at times for his reactions. But like, I would not have blamed him here if he just like fell to the ground, started crying. 
Because like or I don't know how like, the fuck you left. <laughs> like okay, I'm gonna, gonna go. <laughs> just gonna, gonna leave now. Uh, thanks, gonna, thanks for having me. Here. See you later. We'll 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 pick this up another time. <laughs> Maybe uh, when there isn't a bird for me to kill. Uh. No, I actually do think it says a lot about Harry that he didn't, like, leave. You know? (laughs) Dumbledore comes back into his office and reassures Harry that Fox is a phoenix and that it was his time to die and he will be reborn from the ashes. Uh, Upon pressing from Dumbledore, Harry decides to not tell Dumbledore the truth and tells Dumbledore nothing about his uh, parcel mouth or the voices he's hearing or anything else. Uh, it's then we get to Christmas because it's over the holiday season and, that's, and most people have gone home for the holidays. And we find out that the Dursleys sent Harry a toothpick this year. Oh my God, this is my favorite part of this book. I think this is the funniest thing that's ever happened. It's completely unrelated to the plot of the story and will never come up again. But how fucking funny is that? Like they sent a 50 pence note last year and this they're, they're like, here, have a toothpick. I think this is brilliant. And I really do wonder, it's not like enough of a question to save it for our big question section. But I wonder, do they sit and have like an inner conference in their house? of like, what's the funniest fucking thing we can send this right. dude? <laughs> we have to send something. Um and then like a toothpick fell out of someone. They're like, oh, Wilson, I think it is perfect. so, so hilarious. And I love this so much. I can't even be mad at them. No, it's, it's wonderful. It's right up there with when, you know, when you get socks and other crappy gifts. It's wonderful. So Ron and Harry knock out Crab and Goyle and sear their hair because the polyjuice potion requires a bit of the person you're going to turn into. They take the potion and it, just sounds fucking awful like this is does not sound like a fun thing to drink transforming does not sound fun or something i want to do ever but they turn into crab and goyle hermione however won't go with them and just says she can't go and they don't really press her too much they just go on without her after some uh, missteps harry and ron find themselves back in the slytherin common room with malfoy where they, where Malf, where they try to press Malfoy on what he knows about the Chamber of Secrets. And as I said earlier, this is just fucking stupid as all hell because A, how did they think this was going to work? And B, how did Malfoy not realize anything was up? This, none of this makes sense. It is unbelievable that this somewhat paid off, but they get the most information they think they can get from Malfoy and they leave to go back to the bathroom to tell Hermione everything they know, where they find out that Hermione is kind of a cat. I mean, kind of. This is hilarious as well. Poor Hermione. Poor Hermione. So I will cover the next two chapters. Kenny has talked a lot, although I'm sure you prefer I call you Ken. That's a bad habit. Sorry. So chapter 13, Hermione is basically living in the hospital wing after being turned into a quasi-cat. And um, the boys are pretty good about, like, visiting her and such. But Myrtle flooded the school after someone threw a book at her. And this put a whole lot of things into motion plot-wise. So the boys in the bathroom where Myrtle camps out, the same bathroom where they brewed the polyjuice potion, 
and the same bathroom where the entrance chamber of secrets is, which we will find out very dun, dun, dun. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Imagine um, if we just say that every time we get a spoiler. <laughs> I mean, that would not be a good read. Uh, so no. the boys find the empty um, diary um, that we know Ginny was reading and Ginny through that at, at Moaning Myrtle, but of course they didn't know. They found an empty diary. And Ron has a really interesting note how this could be really dangerous, that magical items can do all sorts of things that Harry is just unaccustomed to because he grew up with muggles. But um, after some discussion, the boys settle on the diary being kind of useless, but Harry pockets it anyways. They note that the diary belonged to a TM riddle and Ron is like, oh, I know him. He was just scrubbing the slugs off of a trophy in the trophy room for special services to the school. And that was Tom Riddle's uh, trophy. So he, he recognized him right away. It's incredible they, that they kept this trophy up, can I just say? Well, Considering- yeah, hold that thought. Hold okay. that thought because I want to talk about all of that later. Okay, but yes, I will hold it I for think later. It's enough to save for the next segment. Okay. Um, the trio does their investigative work, and they think, based on the date of the diary, that the diary may know who opened the Chamber of Secrets. Then Valentine's Day comes, and I don't know why this is like plot relevant that much, but a dwarf delivers a musical Valentine to Harry from Ginny. And I just like hate that it's dwarfs. Like, wow, I cannot believe Hogwarts was allowing this. This is like really inappropriate and um, just make like little kids do it or something. I don't know if they need like Cupid sized people. I mean, they have the first year. Sounds like a perfect (laughs) hazing situation for the first years. Yeah, it's a little weird. And especially because we, Dwarfs are not a major or, you know, really even minor part of the story besides for this. So to bring in a different race of people for, for this purpose and essentially this purpose alone is uh, a little sketch. Yeah, super sketch. Um, but alas. Somewhere in the midst of, you know, Hogwarts life, there was a fight. And ink gets spilled all over Harry's shit. And one of the things that he noted was that ink got spilled everywhere in this fight, but the diary remained ink-free and clean. So Harry's like, ooh, interesting. And because of that, I'm going to start writing in the diary. And he did. He meets, through the diary, Tom, who reveals he got an award for catching the person who opened the chamber 50 years ago. And Tom brings Harry into his memory. Well, weird. Super fucking weird. Okay. In the memory, we see Tom ask the past headmaster, Dippet, if he can avoid, Tom can avoid going to his orphanage for the summer. Um, and Dippet is like, oh, well, you're so cool that like we could have done something for you. Like we could have learned something out because you're, so attractive and handsome, Tom Riddle, future evil lord. But because I think also talented, I think talented, you know. sure, <laughs> talented. I mean, from my great house of Slytherin, so obviously. Um, but he's like, all these kids are dying, you know. So I don't think we're even going to be able to open the school. And um, obviously, we know now that 
Tom Riddle felt a lot about very similar to how Harry feels about Hogwarts, that this is his home. He doesn't want to go back home. So Tom is then incentivized to find the killer, the catcher, the opener of the chamber. And we see him apprehend Hagrid for opening the chamber with his spider friend. Um, then Harry wakes up or Harry leaves the memory and tells Ron. I think it's a really interesting thing that we see Tom Riddle do here, especially once we find out more about his backstory in Half-Blood Prince, because here he's doing what he believes to be his ancestral mission to open up the Chamber of Secrets and to get rid of the mudbloods from Hogwarts. But when when this is put up against his desire to stay at school, and his fear of going back to the Muggle orphanage, he has to essentially choose. Does he continue Salazar Slytherin's memory and desires and dream, hopes and dreams and goals? Or does he do what is maybe at the time at least more beneficial to him on a personal level, which is to not let Hogwarts, the only place he's ever felt his home, be closed because of his actions? Yeah, in a way, this is very humanizing for Voldemort, right? This is a choice that a lot of people would make, which is, do I, like, it's it's the opposite of for greater good, but like, it's for his, the greater good. So do I do something for the greater good or do I do something to benefit myself? Do I, do I cleanse the wizarding race of these muggle-borns <laughs> or do I stay at the place I like for the summer? And maybe it's his immaturity. He's always selfish. That, I mean, that's a, egotistical kind of person that he is but um he he chooses his own immediate self-interests here right right he really does not take much time to think about this he immediately says i need to stay at hogwarts so that means that the chamber's gonna have to close and i need a fall guy um yeah agreed completely chapter 14 the trio in their inner sanctum basically puts Hagrid on trial and they start like running through the list of all the bad things they've seen Hagrid do and all the good things they've seen Hagrid do and try to determine, is there anything to indicate he's evil? But they're, they're not really believing it because objectively speaking, Hagrid is not evil. So they probably understand that. Meanwhile, the students have to pick their electives and courses for third year. And I do think that this is an interesting little tiny tidbit it makes no difference plot wise or end game wise but they're 12 and like i don't even think i got to choose what i had for lunch at 12 much less my electives for the next year so i just think that's interesting um that they have so much autonomy like their parents aren't having to pick or anything like that and it probably makes them more independent well if i mean if i i don't know if maybe things changed in the couple of years between certain grades you and me were in like i remember picking elect like one elective for each year but the other thing though was that if we picked an elective that didn't work out so well it was fine cuz it was a one semester elective and you were over they're picking classes that theoretically they're going to take for what five years that's a lot of commitment to go for. It's not just a one semester and if you screw up, okay, we've all taken a class we wish we didn't take. They, this is defining a major part of their magical education and then which leads to you know what types of jobs they can get at age 12. We ask a lot of people in our world to make decisions at a young age, but we don't truly ask a lot of people to pick their profession or their profession, professional track at age 12. 
like they are here in the magical world. But one of my complaints um, growing up was that like if you didn't get into the honors math in you know, seventh grade, you weren't going to get into honors math in eighth grade. So you weren't going to get into the honors class in ninth grade. And then that screwed up your whole schedule. So you're never going to be able to take calculus. And if you don't take calculus, you're never going to be able to get into college, which obviously as like a grown up, you look back and you're like, oh my God, that's absolutely preposterous. That's ridiculous. You don't give a fuck. But at the time you do give a fuck. I mean, you're told that you're your class schedule is going to impact everything. So I do think it's unfair. Like these kids don't know if they're going to be orers or curse breakers or teachers or artists, right? And they're picked. What if they dropped like something really important? Although I think they still have to take their course. It sounds like they always have to take their course. They just get to pick a few other ones. Right, exactly. So anyways, they do that. Um, And Harry gets back to his room and he notices that his stuff is ransacked. And he looks around and notices also that the diary was gone, which is very ominous. We're approaching more Quidditch, um, but Harry hears the voice again. And when he tells Hermione, I'm hearing voices again, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Hermione has like a light bulb moment. Oh my God, I just realized something. I have to go check. And um, she runs to the library and there's like a little joke about, well, that's where Hermione always goes for everything, which is very cute. But not that long after Quidditch gets canceled and McGonagall grabs Harry and Ron and says that there was a double attack and they learn that Harry, I'm sorry. Then we learned that Hermione was attacked alongside Penelope Clearwater. At the end of this book, we learned that was Percy's girlfriend. But um, la la. at the time, we don't really know her. Um, so the boys realize this is the time for the invisibility cloak, if there ever was one. And they go down to Hagrid's house because they want to confront him about, you know, like setting evil basilisks upon Hogwarts, which just is like so unlikely considering, I don't know, whatever. Okay, anyways. I don't, I don't, the reason I don't like this book is because like the, all the things I have to say, I feel like, like, well, obviously Hagrid's not evil. Like this whole book is like that. And obviously Hagrid's not attacking Hermione. Like, why do I even need to say these words? And there's a, there's a major issue at heart that we're going to get to in our next section. So we'll save it. But I think there's essentially one question that encompasses all of this. Which spoiler essentially? Why did Dumbledore not say anything in the last fifty years? Yeah, but we'll yeah, get we're to, we'll get to, get to like that in the next versions of that too. Oh, anyways, they go down to Hagrid's house. They have to hide. Um, Dumbledore arrives with Cornelius Fudge. We meet for the first time, the Minister of Magic, and we learn that enough is enough, and the Ministry is intervening and taking Hagrid to Wizarding Jail, which we learn as Azkaban sounds awful. And then Lucius Malfoy shows up too, I guess, as a school governor, and he sacks Dumbledore, which is interesting. Um, Dumbledore must know that Harry and Ron are there because he says very carefully, and I'm going to quote from the book, you will find that I will only have truly left the school when none here are loyal to me. You will also find that help will always be given in Hogwarts to those who ask for it. For a second, Harry was almost sure Dumbledore's eyes flickered to the corner where he and Ron stood hidden. And then Hagrid also leaves a message in code, but considerably less... Subtle? 
Yeah. I was going to use the word Cody, but I think um, <laughs> subtle is a better word. I like uh, Cody. <laughs> if anybody wanted to find out some stuff, all they'd have to do would be to follow the spiders. That'd lead them right. That's all I'm saying. And he also mentions that someone needs to feed Fang. And we oh, actually Fang. have like no mention that the boys went down to feed Fang. So I really hope that they fed him. Luckily, we know Fang does make it out of this book. So presumably they feed him. But yeah, it would be nice to get confirmation on that. And that he didn't go hungry for a bit. Yeah, like animals' rights are not really paramount in this book series. And I, I do no. feel a little bad for the animals. But we digress. So let's stir the cauldron and sip on some tea. What are our big questions, hot takes, or as we've gotten used to, very lukewarm takes for chapters 9 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? So I think the first thing I want to bring up is how Ginny is described in these sections. Because we get a description of Ginny after multiple of these attacks. She's, uh, it's mentioned that she's disturbed by Mrs. Norris' attack. Uh, I believe the word they use is distraught when talking about how she feels after Colin's attack. And at the time, this seems like it's an 11-year-old girl who is upset because, as Ron put it, she's a cat lover. And because as a fellow Gryffindor in her year was attacked, and this is scary, and people she knows are being attacked, and this is a tough time. And it's very easy to buy into that. Of course, as we later find out, Ginny is disturbed and distraught because she's piecing it together. She's starting to figure out that she's helping to cause this, that she's doing this, that she's the one who's killing the roosters. And She's the one who has blood on her and cat hair, and she can't figure out why. She's losing time, and she doesn't know where she was. So this was a really nice job of kind of giving us a hint that, hey, something's going on with Ginny, that we, it was so easy for us to pass off as a scared 11-year-old, where it actually was something much more important to the story. Yes, and I do wonder, and I don't want to like, this might be, this is sensitive, so... Everybody, if you, I'm going to talk a little bit about some stuff like women go through. I wonder how much of this is a, like a metaphor for women that go through sexual assault and abuse and stuff mm. like that, that people can write off a lot of symptoms and, and ways that women subtly demonstrate that something really bad is going on, but we write them off and really they're carrying around this awful thing that happened. I don't know why if I'm just totally reading into it. Um, but I, when I, we talk about it, that's what I think about. I'm like, it's sort of similar for that, what a, what a young woman would be dealing with if she had this type of secret. And, you know, a lot of women, a lot of this, the psychology, when you read about it, that women feel a lot of shame as a result of really you know, bad people and bad things happening to them that, of course, is no fault of their own, but they don't tell people. And um, I think this is a very similar manifestation. She's, she is being possessed, but she feels like she's doing the bad thing and she can't tell anybody and she's smart, but she's sweet. And because she's 11 and a girl, oh, she's just scared. Well, no, she's not just scared. And actually we learn 
throughout the book series, she's one of the best characters. She's very, very strong and brave and badass. That's a really interesting point. And I have to admittedly say that I regret that I've never actually thought of it that way. Like I never thought that this was also, that it was similar to that, but hearing you say it, it makes a lot of sense. And I honestly feel a little bad that I didn't think of it that way, but that's, you know. I really, I didn't think of it either until we were rereading and talking about it. And I'm like, you know, when you say it like that, when you say she's doing all these things and we're writing it off, I'm like, well, that that happens in real life. So interesting point, a little deep for what we usually cover, but (laughs) something to think about. Definitely. On a lighter note, um, I wanted to mention that, and I talked about this, that I was going to say it earlier. Absolute, absolute lunacy that the fucking trio thinks Malfoy is the heir to Slytherin. Like, come the fuck on. This is like a little toe rag school bully and they think he's the heir to Slytherin. They give this guy so much credit and he's just a little shitball. Like what why are they even wasting their time on Draco Malfoy? Like he's nothing. Yeah. It, it's a little weird and it's incredible that they really do think this 12 year old could be behind all of this. It it doesn't make sense. There's there's no way to explain it except for the fact that they hate Draco and they want Draco to be responsible for whatever you know is going wrong, and they want to get him in trouble. And it's just, it's a school rivalry that they, of course, are then taking to a whole new level. Yeah, and I mean, this doesn't end for the entire book series. They obsess about this guy, and it is funny. In my favorite book, the sixth book, when Harry is on this like total Draco Malfoy is the most evil person. He's a death eater. He's doing everything to hurt us. He was right. But Hermione and Ron have, they understand after all the, all these books <laughs> that it's usually not Draco Malfoy. Which it's kind of fascinating. We'll get back to this in Half-Blood, but that, you know, we have this with Draco and Snape book after book. And then in the same book, we are led to believe they both actually are bad. Draco kind of was. Snape, we later find out, of course, was doing it on Dumbledore's order. But the two characters who we most associate with accusations of evil doing, at the same point, we find out kind of were doing evil things. But yeah. we'll get more to that in Half-Blood. That's not for I Chamber told you, of Secret I, Conversation. I ship Draco and Hermione and Draco and Ginny. So... I I always in my head have like a redemption arc for Draco that never actually occurs in the books, but maybe I like bad boys. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. So one of the things that a a take I have that I found no one who agrees with me on this. I'm curious if you do, Alyssa. Probably not. Just on principle. (laughs) There's Little things in these books, and we get one of them in this section, that make me think that Fred and George are better friends to Harry than Ron is. And Ooh, that's get, a hot take. I don't, I don't well, think so. Here's, here, here's where I'm coming from. I mean, I love them, but <laughs> you, you went here's off the deep end from that, that one. Okay, go. Fred and jo- at no point in this series, in any of the books, do Fred and George ever assume the worst in Harry. You know, 
Harry likes the way in this in this section that Fred and George are making jokes about him being the heir, you know, going oh, through the hallway. Oh, it's so funny. Watch then. out, you know, the air Slytherin coming by and, you know, and even then, you know, when we get to Goblet, they don't have these like kind of negative accusations. Harry's doing anything wrong. You know, I, I just feel like Ron's not as good of a friend as everyone makes him out to be. And I like the way Fred and George handle things when it's particularly when Ron's being a little bit of a dick. Well, I think that there's like two conversations there and I'm sure one we'll get into all the time is like, is Ron a good friend? And I have, I don't, I mean, I like Ron generally. I think what he did when he left them in Deathly Hollows is unforgivable. Right. Um, and I also think his, his like, nonsense and goblet of fire it's not unforgivable but i mean that's unacceptable right i think fred and george I, but to say that fred and george are better friends to harry i think that's a stretch i think fred and george have a much more harry's my little brother attitude than a friend ron is very clearly in a friend Fair. category you're my best friend i kind of see fred and george just like lumping harry in with the rest of their siblings <laughs> and i love that and i think they're great brothers and they also have a level of confidence that ron doesn't have so right. they don't get jealous of harry getting the attention or whatever and they probably are confident enough to know harry's not a fucking arab slip come on this guy was at our house right <laughs> But I, I agree with you a little that they're, that was awesome and they're great. And you don't really see any instance in this book series where they do anything offensive or upsetting. And you do with Ron. But I think, I mean, I don't think I would compare Fred and George's relationship with Harry to Ron's. That's fair. And you're right. I probably over-exaggerated. But it's over a hot take. A bit, and that's but, the purpose of this segment. And right. so we I just heard feel your like hot take. But I feel, like, I feel like you have it right that they, I like their confidence. I like the way that they seemingly never buy into the conspiracies surrounding Harry. They're always just kind of like, we know this dude, you guys are fucking crazy for thinking whatever the theory is in that book. Oh yeah, I love them. I think they're great. Um, and I also don't disagree with you that Ron, like people talk about Ron being like the ultimate best friend. I don't think he is. No. But I also don't think that's a hot take. That's like a lukewarm take because I think a lot of people feel that way. I've gone into some pretty heated fights with people who tell me that I'm like an asshole for not thinking that Ron is, you know, golden. So we can, we can deal with that when these issues come up later. But well, maybe I don't, we'll invite, I don't think I, it's as unanimous as you are making I'm it I'm not saying today. it's unanimous. It's just not a hot, like a hot take is sort of like an unpopular opinion and maybe it's not super popular, but it's not uncommon. Like you talk to a lot of people who, are offended by Ron, but maybe we'll find like a guest to come on our show and argue with us about Ron being the sun and the stars. All right. So I want to go to the, maybe the big question I brought up earlier that will, might lead to a couple, you know, tangentially related questions as well. But to start it off at least is why has Dumbledore not why is Dumbledore not saying anything or having done nothing in the last 50 years regarding the Chamber of Secrets? He's, every hint we got in these books indicates that Dumbledore knows and probably knew 50 years ago too that Tom Riddle opened the Chamber of Secrets. So 
at well, you know the answer I'm, to that question. It's not just because I'm a lawyer. There's no proof. I get what you're asking. Why didn't he do anything? Why didn't he stop him? Why did he let Harry right. be expelled? I'm not, I'm not even saying 50 years ago. I'm saying 20 years ago. Why didn't he say, hey, or after Voldemort fell, why didn't he say, hey, actually, it was Voldemort that did this all these years ago. So I think we should let Hagrid get a wand again and like be a real wizard. Good question fundamentally and like why Dumbledore didn't share more of what he knows in general. But I think we learned in the sixth book that almost nobody even knows Tom Riddle is Voldemort or was Voldemort. That's like a not a well-known thing. And one of the notes I made for this section for this episode was, did Hagrid even know that Tom Riddle is Voldemort? Like, does he even know that now? And I guess he does mm-hmm. at the end of this book, but he probably didn't know. And so I guess like Dumbledore didn't want to present a case that wasn't um, like foolproof. And I mean, does he, there's very little proof to even indicate that Tom Riddle became Voldemort. Like, remember what we learned when he was trying to get memories out of people. Most people don't have memories. And I also don't know anything about like the legal system or what's acceptable like constitutionally in the wizarding world. But I have a feeling that like memories from house elves are not considered proof of anything. So what was Dumbledore going to say? I'm not disagreeing with you that I feel like he sat on this information just long enough for Harry, age 12, to figure it all out. But um, I don't know what he could have done. Right. No, I, I, I think you're right. I don't know. I feel like when you're fighting a dark wizard who people are afraid to say the made up name he gave himself, it might be helpful to do, you know, a public service announcement and be like, Hey, his name's actually Tom Riddle. Like, well, yeah, you should know this. but also remember when this book came out, it was like, what, 13 years before that Voldemort was, quote, defeated, right? So up until Mm -hmm. now, Voldemort's been gone for over a decade. So maybe, I mean, Dumbledore thinks he's going to come back, but I don't think he'd have a very receptive audience. People don't want to hear bad things. As we will find out in later books when he does come back and the ministry refuses to accept that he's back, leading to a book of heartache and frustration. Right. So I guess speaking of heartache and frustration, we can end this episode (laughs) so we can be almost done with this book so we can get into better books. (laughs) We're one episode away from the end of the end of the Chamber of Secrets season, I believe. Yes. Yes. We will get the rest of this book done in the next episode. So with that, we're wrapping up today's episode where we covered a big group of chapters 9 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You know where to find us on Twitter and Instagram. Leave us some reviews, download, subscribe, do all the things. Um, And we will see you next time.